So really what we're trying to do is leverage the immune system to help fight cancer. So with the vaccine, really what you're trying to do is get a specialized group of lymphocytes to go and kill cancer cells, but you got to teach them what the target is. So that's what our vaccine does. What is the Torigen immunotherapy vaccine for cancer in pets? And why should you know about it before proceeding with amputation? Find out from Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Michael LaCroix on this episode of Tripod Talk Radio. And scratching like a three-legged dog. For any tripod, cat or dog. Why do some vets do things that way? Why? So many people don't realize that their dogs are in pain. He's a three-legged dog and he's still pretty good. Hello and welcome to Tripod Talk Radio, episode number 104. This is another video episode of Tripod Talk, so being recorded on May 25th. 2021. And anyone watching on the Tripods YouTube channel can check the show notes for a link to the podcast and vice versa. We're very excited to welcome back Dr. Michael LaCroix, who we first interviewed back in 2009 about different cancers in dogs, metastasis and metastasis and chemotherapy. Well, a lot has happened in the past decade when it comes to veterinary oncology. Um, and Dr. LaCroix is now Chief Medical Officer at Torigen Pharmaceuticals. And Torigen provides advanced cancer care solutions for companion animals, including a personalized canine cancer vaccine, a therapeutic vaccine help dogs fight cancer. He is the author of Help, My Dog Has Cancer, and you'll find many more credentials in the show notes. Torigen is doing some exciting stuff that offers hope for pet parents whose dogs have cancer. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dr. LaCroix. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I can't believe 10 years plus has passed since our last chat. I can't either. That is amazing. And so much has happened in those 10 years. Like with you, let's start with you for just a second. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and then why you decided to move from um, practice to uh, working at, at Torigen. Sure. So I've done a lot of things, you know, worn many hats. Uh, and so I've, you know, spent close to a decade in academic practice at Oklahoma yeah. State University and Purdue University. Uh, Spent a decade roughly in private specialty practice from Central Florida to the Indianapolis area and has spent some time in industry, uh, first with Elanco Animal Health and working with their R&D team for uh, over five, or I guess it was close to five years. And then um, before joining Torigen, I was actually serving as the director of clinical studies for MedVet. And that's a group practice that at the time was about 23, 24 practices, but they continue to grow and add to their, you know, group of specialty and emergency hospitals. So I uh, did that um, and uh, about a year and a half ago, joined the team at Torigen. They had a exciting opportunity and uh, just uh, was the right time. And, you know, who knew, I guess it was a little bit of uh, luck, you know, that I would be out of the clinics before the pandemic, you know, uh, struck. Gosh. So. I got to, I guess, uh, dodge that, uh, you know, scary situation, uh, being out, uh, out and about. Yeah. What timing. Oh my gosh. And now Torigen must've had something pretty special going on for you to go over there because I mean, you have had your, your finger on the pulse of veterinary oncology for so long and you've worked in so many different areas. Um, what, what is, what we want to learn today is what is so special about Torigen and what they are doing to help dogs with cancer. 
Can you uh, give us a little background on just in general, what is a cancer vaccine? What does it sure. do? And, does it and differentiate between the types, you know, a preventative versus therapeutic, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so those are great questions. So I guess if we kind of think about, you know, what was going on at, at Toragen, um, if we kind of think about, you know, the classic pillars of cancer management, um, you know, the classic ones are surgery. So you cut it out. You think about radiation therapy, so you burn it now, you don't burn it, but you know, it's uh, radiation therapy is one. And then you wage what I fondly refer to as chemical warfare. So, you know, you're using chemotherapy and, you know, for hundreds of years, those are really, you know, kind of two. And then, you know, since the 1940s, we've had the third pillar with chemotherapy. So um, that's really been the way we've managed it. And on the human side, immunotherapy has become the fourth pillar of cancer management. And so I think what the, the guys at Torigen were doing was really working towards making that, you know, a reality uh, to add to what's already out there for treating pets with cancer. So, you know, our hope is that that's going to become the fourth pillar of cancer management among, you know, our animal friends, because you know, when we think about immunotherapy uh, the area we're working in is this notion of vaccines. So really what we're trying to do is leverage the immune system to help fight cancer. And there are a number of ways you can do that. And so with the vaccine, really what you're trying to do is get a specialized group of lymphocytes called T lymphocytes to go and kill cancer cells, but you got to teach them what the target is. So that's what our vaccine does. It's a therapeutic vaccine in that we're going to take material from the patient's own cancer to create the vaccine so that all those potential targets that are present in the cancer can be presented to the immune system. So then those cells learn about all the different proteins that are present in that cancer and can hopefully go and find them throughout the body. But think about preventive vaccines, because when we use the word vaccine, right? Everybody sure. thinks about, well, these days, you know, you think about mRNA technology uh, for, you know, COVID, but um, really preventive vaccines are uh, designed to kind of teach the immune system a lesson before you encounter the problem. So uh, there are some you know, examples in human medicine about preventive vaccines and probably the most notable is the HPV vaccine. So we know that infection with HPV greatly increases the risk for several cancers like cervical cancer and also for things like squamous cell carcinoma, some forms of head and neck cancer. So if you get vaccinated for that, then it does prevent you know, that risk for for cancer later on in life. Uh, as far as, you know, in the veterinary world, we don't really fully appreciate how many cancers may be driven by viral infections. So that's not been something that's been um, readily available to date. Wow. So this has been going on in human medicine for quite a while. And I find it interesting that, you know, we, we hear a lot about how dogs are helping to uh, discover treatments for humans, but right now it's kind of the reverse situation. This is becoming the fourth pillar in veterinary oncology. Do you have any idea why it, it's the reverse process as, you know, for, for this type of treatment? Yeah. I mean, often it is, you know, kind of the other way around for sure, yeah. but you know, I like history. So if you go back in the, in the history books, um, immunotherapy, really the idea that the body's immune system would kind of monitor or patrol or police uh, the body for the presence of abnormal cells like cancer cells, that theory of immunosurveillance 
uh, was first proffered in 1959. And the early vaccines uh, were studied in rabbit animal models um, back in the early 1960s. So um, it really kind of skipped the clinics and veterinary medicine and, you know, kind of was explored in people. And I think one of the limitations is just the idea of the reagents that you can use in the lab to study an immune response. You know, if I want to study what happens in a mouse's immune system, uh, there are catalogs of reagents I can order and use those to test the immune response and blood samples and things for mice and for people. So for dogs, there are a few, but not very many. And for cats and horses, pretty much nothing. So uh, it's really difficult to study the immune response in, in those companion animal species relative to people. But okay. Now things are improving, so we do have more reagents. Um, I think that's going to help us moving forward. Also, there's a, a renewed interest in you know this kind of vaccine strategy combined with other forms of immunotherapy. So, for example, the things uh, like checkpoint inhibitors. So these things go in their antibodies that block the interaction between cancer and uh, certain signal on T cells because that when that switch gets flipped it shuts off the T cell. So the T cell doesn't want to kill the cancer cell anymore. So if you can block that uh, checkpoint, then you can actually just allow that T cell to go on and do its job. That is so exciting. So I didn't realize you could combine all these different types of immunotherapies. Yeah. And so we don't have, you know, we're a new company, so we don't have data with our, you know, um, you know, product, Mm -hmm. But uh, there, you know, was a study a few years ago with dogs with primary brain tumors that are good models for people with brain cancer. And what they found was that the dogs that got the autologous cancer vaccine got some benefit, but when they combine the autologous cancer vaccine with the checkpoint inhibitor, the survival times doubled for those dogs. Wow. Wow, this is so helpful. It is all really exciting and not to go off on some tangent down a rabbit hole, <laughs> but do you think we will ever see preventative vaccines for specific cancers in dogs? And are there developments, are these type of developments you're doing now kind of heading, leading the way? Well, you know, with the autologous approach, it's really individualized. So, you know, we use the unique changes in every individual patient's tumor to create the vaccine. Um, and they kind of, you know, I guess it's how you think about the antigens that are present in cancer. So some of them are very much unique to an individual. Mm. There are fewer that are kind of common amongst all nice. cancers. And some of the proteins are actually um, what, what we would call self proteins. So it's a normal protein found in the patient that the immune system doesn't recognize. So you have to add in things like an adjuvant to stimulate a more exciting immune response. And those are harder targets, but maybe found in more cancers. So uh, it's not easy to do that. And because not, you know, no two tumors are exactly alike, it's tough to just come off of with that off the shelf solution mm -hmm. for managing cancer. That's Maybe we'll get there. There's a, there's a group, you know, that's looked at, you know, this kind of preventive model, but the problem with that is you need thousands of dogs over, you know, a dozen years to really see, does your vaccine, your, you know, peptide vaccine make a difference in cancer incidence over time. So, you know, the studies got started, but it's going to be a long time before we get to the end point to understand if that's truly going to be preventive. Good. So let's get back to um, Torigen immunotherapy specifically and how that's working. Yeah, because when we first started hearing about this, um, a few of our members kept talking about the Torigen vaccine, the Torigen vaccine. And we had 
we didn't know anything about it. So I thought we need to learn what this is. Um, tell us uh, some background info on it. Um, when was it developed and made available for the public and um, who's it intended to help? Yeah, so this technology, uh, one of our co-founders and our uh, chief technology officer is Mark Succo, and he's a veterinarian, and this was actually developed in his lab at the University of Notre Dame. And, um, and actually our, our CEO, she was his graduate student. So, um, you know, kind of took this technology and, you know, being, a, you know, the business minded person had an interest in commercializing it. So uh, the company has been around for a little while, but really uh, we started uh, making vaccines available for folks uh, in the public around 2015. So it's really been about five years where it's been available. Uh, on a limited basis. So we're not fully licensed by the USDA. We're working on an experimental therapeutic license as we complete the steps needed for full product registration. So as you look on the website, you know, you see all the language around that that talks about, you know, we have an officially uh, determined efficacy and officially determined safety. But, you know, it has been out there for about five years. And, you know, we've seen uh, growth over those years. And, that's exciting that we're able to help, you know, more and more, you know, dogs, cats, horses, we treated ferrets. Uh, we've actually treated a few, uh, you know, exotic cats uh, in zoos. So this is really, you know, kind of a cancer type agnostic and species agnostic sort of therapy. So really any solid tumor that we can run through the process, we can create a vaccine for. And assuming the patient can mount an immune response, we should see, you know, some benefit from that. That is so exciting. We never get to hear about these kinds of things for cats. And so, in layman's terms, I, I'm hearing you say that it's not for a specific type of cancer, but de dependent on the animal, you can craft this vaccine to help prevent, say, metastasis or further spreading of different types of cancer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we've even had, you know, it is a therapeutic vaccine, so it is our goal to kind of slow down the process. Uh, you know, horses get melanomas, especially these gray horses, and they happen around the tail and they're just, you know, they can be massive and uh, difficult to remove surgically. And we've got uh, anecdotal response uh, reports from veterinarians that when they've sent us in tissue and they vaccinated the horses, that over time, and it takes a while, it takes many months, but over time, the lesions have stabilized and actually started to decrease in size. So, you know, that's exciting because often it's hard for the immune system to work with big bulky cancers. So uh, at least getting some of that feedback, you know, helps us uh, as we try and formulate plans for, you know, what does the optimal dose schedule look like and, and things like that. Wow. That's a great segue. Maybe we could talk about the process. I mean, you're, you're taking tumor out, crafting vaccine and putting it in. So maybe you could explain um, a typical treatment protocol. Yeah. So, you know, say we have a dog, well, you know, if we're talking about, uh, you know, three-legged dogs, then uh, we can certainly talk about dogs with osteosarcoma. Uh, but essentially what we need is to run through the process, we need a diagnosis. So if the veterinarian hasn't already made the diagnosis, we can take part of that tissue and send out for pathology to get the answer. Uh, and then we can just retain part of that tissue until we learn what the answer is, then start the, the vaccine process. Uh, but what we do is we mechanically dissociate the cells into a, a single cell suspension. Uh, the idea is that if we do it mechanically, we're not going to change the characteristics of the proteins or antigens on the cell. When you work with cancer cells, you're growing on a Petri dish, um, they want to stick to each other. And so the classic way when you work in the lab is to use an enzyme called trypsin, 
which just chops up proteins indiscriminately. So if you have proteins that you're trying to show to the immune system and it's important, the structure and orientation that they're in, uh, if you break all those bonds up, then the immune system doesn't really have anything to work with. So when we mechanically break those cells apart, we keep those proteins in, intact. And then we use a chemical fixation step because we don't want to give live cancer cells back to the patient. Uh, so we use a chemical inactivation step that actually fixes those proteins in place. And then we use an adjuvant um, to kind of stimulate an immune response. And then that is the basis for the, the vaccine. And it's given once a week uh, subcutaneously. So just like a regular vaccine, literally, you know, like rabies or, or anything else is given subcutaneously. And that's given once a week for three consecutive weeks. So it is a few trips back and forth to the hospital, but um, it is something that can be done in either a specialty practice setting or in a general practice setting. So I, I'd like to back up for a second. Um, you've used the word adjuvant a couple of times, and I just, I would love you to um, explain what that is to folks that aren't familiar with it. Yeah, so it's just something that you add to the, it's the secret sauce, I guess. You know, it's something that you add okay. to the vaccine product to really make the immune system more interested or agitated by it to get a better immune response. So uh, in our case, it's a protein that causes that. Uh, in many vaccines, you know, it's a metal salt. So mm -hmm. for a lot of them, uh, it's like an aluminum salt. Uh, you know, there are some you know, strategies that you use to try and get more of a B cell response. Uh, so for like infectious diseases like rabies, uh, you want to get your B cells that make antibodies up and running. But for things like you know, cancer, you want T cells. So you use different adjuvants to try and stimulate that type of immune response. Got it. Thank you. Since you mentioned osteosarcoma and amputation is often, you know, the leading first line of defense there, can samples be taken after the leg and tumor are gone? Or is this something the pet parents need to be on top of and Good get question. that sample taken or a sample from the removed leg? Or once the leg's gone, can they proceed with torsion in any way? Yes, yeah, so we need the tissue. And, um, you know, in the manufacturing world, uh, the process is called GMP or good manufacturing practices. So we have a GMP process and that means that we need fresh tissue. You can't go into formalin. And that's the usual thing you do is you take a biopsy, you put it into formalin, then you ship it off to the pathology lab. But our process requires fresh tissue. So we can't use anything that's been in formalin. So it's kind of like chess. You have to be thinking, you know, a step or two ahead of what you're going to do. So if immunotherapy is on your radar, then you know that you need um, to have some fresh tissue available and you can't put everything into formalin. Otherwise, you know, that process isn't going to work. Um, in lieu of amputation, I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a, you know, I don't really worry about an amputated dog. I had a three-legged dog due to osteosarcoma. So it's, you know, it's not a big deal. They do fine. Um, but, you know, that is the, you know, if we think about amputation, why are we doing that one? We'll get to a big piece for making the diagnosis. It deals with the pain. It deals with the you know risk for fracture. So there's a lot of benefits to you know uh, the amputation, and it may not be possible to get a large enough sample from the bone to really create the vaccine and still leave the bone okay mm -hmm. because you know the the osteosarcoma bone is kind of weak 
think about a column, you know, a column, you know, architecturally will bear a lot of weight. But when you have part of that, you know, column eroded from the cancer, it's subject to collapse. And so if you've got bone that's already weakened and now we've taken out a, you know, five or 10 gram piece of tissue, then I think you're really up the risk for fracture. So I think at least at this point, um, the way the process works, we probably wouldn't be able to do this in lieu of, you know, amputation and other therapy. Okay. And pet parents need to be know, know enough to ask about Torigen at their bed prior to amputation. So that sample is taken and, and sent to you guys. So let's talk about availability. Can any vet do this? Yeah. Yeah. And this is available to any veterinarian in the United States. Uh, and so we actually provide free tumor collection kits to veterinarians. So they have everything they need at the outset. So that way you don't have to call, get the stuff and then delay surgery. You, you know, if they're ready to go, you know, they have materials on hand and the kits contain enough material to sample three different tumors. Uh, and what's in the kit is, you know, prepaid FedEx overnight shipping. So all they have to do is just put the sample of tissue and the vial that's included. There's always paperwork. That's what makes the world go round. So um, there's just basic information about the patient uh, and the, the hospital and everything that we need to just, you know, get things shipped back and forth and understand about the disease. And then there's an informed consent because we are still an experimental therapeutic. Then there is a requirement of the USDA that all the owners will sign the uh, informed consent. It just goes through the fact that yes, it is a new therapy. It hasn't been fully approved. And then it just goes through the, the side effects that, that could be encountered. So in a perfect world, I have a dog, um, well, not perfect, but a dog with um, osteosarcoma. We're at the vet clinic. We're, we're getting ready to do amputation. Maybe he's there for pre-surgery pre workup. The vet has the kit um, and takes the sample like maybe within hours of the actual surgery. Is that how it would work? Yeah. And then just, uh, we like to have it shipped okay. as quickly as we can. Uh, and so that's why we provide the overnight express priority, whatever FedEx, you know, calls the, the quickest service possible. Got it. Yeah. We want it, you know, to us as, as quickly as possible. So uh, that allows us to get the, you know, the best vaccine created that we can. I believe you said it takes the labs there about 72 hours to generate the vaccine and get it back. But if this animal has just had surgery, does that vaccine have a certain shelf life or is it given right away, right after amputation or, and, or how, how often? So I think, you know, as I've gone back looking through our database, uh, it seems that many veterinarians just wait until suture removal to start the vaccine. Okay. Uh, there's no need to do that, but I think it's as much convenience for the owners as it is anything. Uh, you could give it straight away. And uh, we haven't determined the exact expiration date, but we've done some testing in the lab and it seems that, you know, 18 weeks uh, in the refrigerator is, is probably still a viable product, but that hasn't been fully determined yet. So I know of a lot of pet parents who are uh, really hesitant when it comes to moving forward with chemotherapy. Can this be used instead of chemotherapy or is it best used with it? Well, we don't know the answer to that one yet. That's a great question. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to, you know, learn that as a small company, you know, these are not uh, insignificant uh, investments of, of dollars to run, you know, studies to answer these questions. Uh, we do know from, you know, mouse studies and other species that uh, there is some benefit and synergy between some types of chemotherapy and immunotherapy. 
So for example, there are some of the platinum drugs that are commonly used to treat osteosarcoma after surgery that can have positive impacts on the immune response. So there might be some benefits there. Uh, other types of chemotherapy drugs uh, like uh, Palladia, which is a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. Uh, there are multiple studies ongoing combining those types of drugs with immunotherapy with vaccines. So we think there's some synergy there, uh, but we haven't you know, looked at the outcomes yet. So tough to know whether it should be all the above or you know, instead of. So uh -huh. I'm curious how, oh, I'm sorry. Um but I'm curious how the, the company would actually get that data. Cause a lot of people, you know, they ask, where does this information about my dog's longevity go? Like how they did with this type of treatment? Does it just go poof out into nowhere or does somebody actually keep track of how they do? And can that information be used as part of an actual retrospective study? Yeah. And so one of the challenges of retrospective studies is that no two dogs get processed or handled the same way. Uh -huh. And so that's been, you know, as I've been trying to go through the database, you know, we've got thousands of animals that have been, you know, treated with the vaccine. Uh, but when you go through, you know, we do try and well, actually we have it automated. So the veterinarians get a link that has a request for information at regular intervals after the vaccine. But like any other survey tool, the response rate is quite low. So then you go back to try and, you know, fill in the blanks and you have to contact the veterinarians again. And, you know, they don't uh, always send you records, uh, you know, to, to look at. So that's kind of tough. Yeah. And so, you know, like for regulatory purposes, you know, we're going to be doing a prospective study. And with that, uh, it's done under the good clinical practice guidelines. So with that, you know, all the data will be, you know, unified or, you know, done in a, collected in a uniform manner. Um, study monitors who are essentially auditors come in and look to make sure that the medical record jives with what the study records look like and that there haven't been any errors and data entry and things like that. So um, that's as you know, good a job as you can do trying to collect data for mm -hmm. clinical outcomes. And then, yeah, you start the clock and everybody's clock starts on the same day and you know when surgery was precisely, and then you can follow them. And you know, if you get them imaged regularly, then you can know when the disease uh, you know, first is seen to maybe metastasize to the lungs, for example, and you can then very clearly define those endpoints in that population. But it's not, yeah, it's that, that costs a lot of money to, to do those kinds of studies. So mm -hmm. um, at least uh, in a small company, we're going to focus on, you know, probably a single disease state and do that first. And then, you know, once we get through the, the regulatory process, it'll be a little bit easier to, to do some of the other studies. Okay. You, know, you mentioned metastasis there. So for someone out there who may not have known about it prior to amputation, couldn't get a tissue sample, if metastasis has occurred, can that sample be taken and used to fight it at that stage? Or is it too far spread at that point? No. So that can actually be the, the source of material is uh, that metastatic lesion. Now we talk about dogs with osteosarcoma, that's generally a lung lesion. So that's not a simple surgery, but you know, eat, I mean, it's straightforward enough, I say as a non-surgeon, but mm -hmm. um, you know, for the folks that do that for a living, that's not, it's not a huge deal to, to go in and get one of those nodules removed. Um, if there's a, you know, cutaneous or subcutaneous, you know, nodule that you can feel under the skin or in the skin, that'd be an easy, you know, kind of low hanging fruit to, you know, get that material to be used for, for the source. And, and just to be clear, there is no data on how effective that would be, but it is something that a, a pet parent can explore. 
Right, right. And, uh, you know, for some folks, it is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's just that concern over risk. Um, I don't know, maybe it's been five or six years ago now, but in the journal Animals, um, there was a paper published that just looked at that very question. And it was about 60% of pet parents that decided that, hey, you know, I don't want to pursue chemotherapy, regardless of the known efficacy, because of a concern for adverse events. And, you know, I learned a long time ago, you don't fight folks over that, you know, you know, Aunt Susie went through chemotherapy and she had a rough time. Well, you know, you can talk to your blue in the face about that's not how we approach dogs, but it it doesn't matter. Right. So you just don't, I don't, I never fought people over that. If that's what they thought, then that's, you know, that's their experience. And I can't change that. Uh, Even though, you know, my, you know, clinical experiences, dogs go through, my own dog went through, you know, that was a long time ago, but that was back in the day when we used cisplatin instead of carboplatin. And, you know, I mean, even, even then he did fine with that. So. Yeah, that's, that's been our experience with members too, is the vast majority do really well um, there. Yeah. But there are people who don't want to do it right off the bat. Yeah. Um, so it's good. So this is something that, that they can look into if metastasis occurs and, you know, feel they could feel like they're doing something. Right. And, you know, our team published at the end of 2019, uh, the safety experience in 93 dogs. And what they found was that the group of dogs, there was about 10% that did have an adverse event reported. Uh, They were all treated at a single surgery center and they all went through the process where they had surgery and then they got three doses of the vaccine. And it was kind of all comers, so it didn't matter what kind of cancer they had. But the adverse events, the side effects were really limited to a little bit of lethargy. There was a little bit of you know, discomfort at the injection site. And uh, a couple of the dogs had a low grade fever for a day or so, but nothing required intervention. So uh, relative to other therapies, I think that's a pretty favorable you know, profile. So I think the risks are low. Uh, we've got a, a paper that we submitted on cats uh, we looked at 117 cats and they had a low adverse event rate. So uh, we think, you know, and based on, we just looked at uh, horses as well and um, they had a little bit higher rate, but the number of horses was smaller. So I think that's just an artifact of just having a small study population. Mm-hmm. So overall, it seems to be safe. And then, you know, since the 1960s, since this has been studied in multiple iterations in people, there haven't been any serious adverse events reported in people as well. So uh, I think that that goes to the idea of we think about, you know, kind of species independent, uh, it doesn't really seem to matter what species you're working with, it seems to be well tolerated. Oh, so cool. Do you have links to those studies that you guys did? I believe they're on the website. Okay. I don't know. I haven't. We'll find, we'll find them and we'll, we'll put them in the podcast notes. That's yeah. great. And okay. then the only sarcoma we've uh, published on was uh, hemangiosarcoma. So we looked at dogs that actually had metastatic hemangiosarcoma. Wow. That's a devastating disease yeah. of dogs. You know, the, the surgery only dogs, um, their middle point of survival or median survival is right around 40 days. Uh, what we saw is that the dogs that got only the vaccine had equivalent survival to the dogs that were treated with maximum tolerated dose chemotherapy. So wasn't great it was a horrible disease but the median survival time of those two groups is identical at 142 days with no adverse events reported in the dogs that got the vaccine so we think there's you know some potential for you know i mean we have to optimize things we're still early on but mm-hmm. uh certainly we're seeing efficacy signals in, in some of these early studies so that takes us back to what you originally said about torsion being um the goal being to slow progression or create stable disease, right? This is no cure, it's going to stop things. So if metastasis is you know, spread fairly wide throughout the lungs, 
taking a sample isn't going to reduce the number, but keep more from growing, right? Right, right. And, and that's, you know, part of the strategy. And so that's why, you know, in people, the learning over the last you know, 50 years has been that, you know, the earlier or lower stage your cancer is, the better you do with immunotherapy. And so, yeah, we kind of picked the worst case scenario, right? Uh, you know, immunosarcoma is tough. So, yeah, and then you start with, you know, dogs that have disease in their lungs or liver and the like. And I mean, that's a tough place to start. But um, like many, you know, human clinical trials, you kind of start with that patient population that doesn't have a lot of other options. And then if you see the signal of efficacy, then that prompts you to, to go and do some other, other work there. So but it sounds like it's offering some serious hope and another option if people are aware of it ahead of time to nip things in the bud, get that sample off and give the vaccine a try. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Oh my gosh, Dr. Lucroy, this is so fascinating and so hopeful can't thank you enough for being here today and sharing all of this great information. I had us. a quick question to wrap up that oh. I saw in Renee's notes there about <laughs> okay, um, yeah. the future of Torigen. It sounds like Torigen, the immunotherapy we're talking about is like the key product or key drive behind the company. What is next in the future? for Torigen? Yeah, so we're looking at other immunotherapy options that might be a little bit more off the shelf because um, we recognize that, you know, sometimes, hey, you know, the tumors recurred or gee, I just found out about this and now there's nothing, you know, I can't create the vaccine because everything got put in form or whatever. So we're looking at some things that may be more appropriate for uh, kind of an off the shelf solution that a veterinarian could either have on hand all the time or, you know, get it on demand. Hey, here's a tumor that's inoperable, uh, but here's something I can use to, to treat that. So we're looking at some immunotherapy that, that may help us with, with those kinds of situations. That's great. Another cool. tool in the toolkit. Yeah, in the, we are in the fans. This is awesome. Um, and Torgen.com, is that the, the website for the company? That's where we live on the Webernets. So. And, <laughs> and I saw that you had information for veterinarians and for pet owners. So we want yeah. everyone out there to get involved with this and we'll be spreading the word. Yeah. And, uh, and for those, uh, you know, if you got some veterinarians tuning in, uh, I just recorded yesterday. I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, recording uh, on Zoom. But uh, I'll be, I have an on-demand session about immunotherapy and autologous cancer vaccines, talking about all the different technologies that are available uh, at the ACVAM forum. So for any veterinarians that need some CE and want to sign up for the forum, it's going to be virtual this year. So it'll be uh, happening a little bit later in June. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That is so cool. I love what you guys are doing and um, can't thank you enough. You're making a lot of people really happy and, and full of hope. Yeah, glad to help. I'm good to see you guys. It's been, you don't Me have too. to make it uh, less than a decade on the That's next right. Day, right? <laughs> a little sooner this time. I was just thinking, you know, Zoom wasn't even like thought of the last time we spoke. So this is incredible. I can't remember if that's actually a physical. No, it probably was a cell phone, but you know, you know, landline. We I had an know. actual yeah. camera when we last interviewed you. So thank you for your time. Keep up the good work and we'll uh, let everyone know about the Torigen immunotherapy options. Sounds great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Many thanks to Dr. LaCroix for this valuable information and the work they are doing at Torigen. Get complete details about this exciting new immunotherapy vaccine for cancer in pets at Torigen.com. Find our previous veterinary oncology and chemotherapy interviews with Dr. LaCroix on the Tripods YouTube channel or at Tripods.com. He's a three-legged dog and he's still pretty good.
Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast. Try.